The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. We'll uh, go to federal politics and talk to Senator Sarah Henderson. Senator, good morning. Thanks for being on the program. Mitchell, good morning and great to join you as always. Well, first of all, are you meant to be in Canberra today? How's that working? Yes, look, I am actually going to be attending Parliament remotely this week from Geelong. Uh, It's obviously very complicated with the lockdown and so I will continue to be in Parliament but just remotely, which is obviously very positive. And can you still participate remotely exactly as you would if you were there in person asking questions in question time, that sort of thing? Yes, absolutely. You can ask questions and I've got a a couple of speeches uh, already that I'm scheduled to give. One uh, today talking about the appalling conduct of the WA Bar Association, but that's another story. Uh, Yes, you can absolutely participate in uh, question time. The only difference is that you can't participate in divisions because you're required to be in the chamber for divisions. I see. But in uh, many other respects, you can certainly, you can certainly, um, I'll be able to participate uh, in many of the proceedings in Parliament this week. So they work it all out, do they? And you get a pair if you can't make it or they just work out that an equal number of MPs from Victoria will sit out? Oh, it's a, it's a paired arrangement based on the number of senators in the, in the chamber, uh, not necessarily from Victoria, but obviously we have uh, three states in lockdown at the moment. So it's a, it is a very challenging time, but the Parliament uh, is... Uh, proceeding full steam ahead and I'm very pleased to be participating this week remotely. So here we are in lockdown six and probably surprised everyone how quickly that came around, only nine days from lockdown five to lockdown six. Is this what we can expect now between now and getting 80% of the population vaccinated that we'll have uh, long lockdowns of a few weeks and maybe one or two weeks out then back into lockdown again? Well I certainly uh, hope not and uh, as ha- has been announced by the Prime Minister as part of the decision of National Cabinet, we have a strong national plan to uh, roll out the vaccine and to return to a COVID-safe way of life. And one of the big thresholds which has been announced is the 70% threshold. And we are well on our way. And in fact, I was having a look at some statistics uh, just yesterday in relation to the progress of first doses. And based on the current trajectory, uh, Mitch, we will see New South Wales uh, reach its uh, 100% first dosages by the end of September. So we are seeing uh, a mammoth increase in vaccinations, and that's very, very positive. Uh, Some 13.5 million doses have now been administered, and I am pleased to see that Bowen Health has opened up AstraZeneca to younger people today. Of course, we... Uh, Atagi has recommended that many, many weeks ago, so um, they were a bit slow off the mark, but I am very pleased to see that the state government has now opened this up to younger people. Uh, But the message, as I've said before to you, and as I continue to say, Mitch, is please get vaccinated. This is our ticket to freedom. This is our lifeline. Uh, And, uh, you know, we will, of course, continue to face some challenges until we reach those important thresholds. 
It does sound like it's still quite hard to get an appointment. I was out at the Ford factory last week talking to people that were being vaccinated and you could see that there were a lot of empty pods there so there was room for more nurses to be in vaccinating more people per hour. I spoke to the people out there. They said they wanted to get 3,000 people through a day but at the moment it's only 1,000. I also know there's a drive-through vaccination clinic that's open today and I think all of their spots got snapped up for a whole month very quickly. So it seems like it's very popular in the community to get vaccinated. People just want more of an opportunity to do so? Well, Mitch, I'm not sure that you're quite representing the availability of the vaccine correctly because the vaccine, both Pfizer and AstraZeneca, are now available at many GPs clinics. They're also available through the Commonwealth Respiratory Clinic. So the vaccine is broadly available and of course uh, more and more supply is coming on each week. We've got a million doses of Pfizer every week and and now uh, we've also um, learnt that uh, we expect the TGA will approve the Moderna vaccine for Australians aged 18 and over in the next two weeks. So we've secured another 25 million doses of Moderna uh, with 10 million to arrive this year and, and 15 million to arrive uh, in 2022. So uh, we are moving full steam ahead. It has been a difficult time, there's no doubt about it. But the vaccination rates are now very high in terms of the number of people getting vaccinated every day. And as I say, whether it's through your local respiratory clinic, whether it's through your GP or whether it's through Bowen Health's uh, Ford factory facility, which is obviously churning through lots of people every day, uh, please get out and get vaccinated. And if you want to know where and how to make an appointment, uh, just go to australia.gov.au. Do you know what trajectory we're on in terms of getting to that 80% figure? I'm assuming that's two doses of the vaccine so that we can start to think about maybe putting these lockdowns behind us. Well, look, there's nothing uh, official. I have seen some uh, unofficial data and it does vary. uh, It does vary in different states. But, uh, you know, we certainly are on track to, just based on what I've had a look at, we're on track to either be fully vaccinated for all that, meaning uh, anyone who, um, all those people who are take up the opportunity to be vaccinated, and I do hope that is everyone, uh, by the end of the year uh, or early next year. But it does depend on the number of vaccinations per day. And during the week, we are reaching vaccinations per day of well in excess of 200,000 and uh, around about 1.5 million vaccination doses each week. So. The trajectory is very, very strong, uh, but we've just got to keep it up. In terms of the people that choose not to get vaccinated, is it a good idea to offer some sort of incentive like the $300 proposal? If that helps us to get to 80% or 100%, why not do it? Well, I think that that was a pretty reckless uh, announcement by Labor, and I think Labor have walked away from that. And, And if they're offering $300 to those who haven't been vaccinated and that's not really clear in terms of their so-called commitment which is effectively redundant anyway because everyone uh, will be vaccinated uh, you know by the end of the year or early next year Uh, it means that half um, of all Australians effectively would miss out so it was a it was a it was a a reckless uh, decision and a reckless announcement that's not to say that there might be some incentives down the track some um, well targeted incentives uh, but giving away six billion dollars is is not in my view uh, and in the government's view a constructive uh, decision in terms of how we best spend 
uh, taxpayers' money. In terms of support available in this lockdown, every lockdown we seem to say businesses are on the brink and, you know, if there's one more lockdown, they'll be closing down. How are we performing and are businesses out there and even people that have been casually employed and now are no longer, are they getting enough support? Well, there is uh, a lot of support that we have announced, of course, through our COVID disaster uh, payment, through other income support that's been announced, uh, through the $400 million package announced for uh, uh, businesses in conjunction with the state government. Uh, As you might know, Mitch, uh, the COVID disaster payment means that from uh, day one of any lockdown, eligible workers will receive $750 per week if they lose 20 hours or more of work, uh, and those who lose between eight and 20 hours or a full day of work will receive a payment of $450 per week. So uh, there is very substantial payments, but I'm not understating how difficult this is. And I look at uh, sectors uh, like uh, tourism, like hospitality, our cafes and restaurants, uh, our arts, uh, our event industry, and they are really on their knees. And that's why I would very much hope that in regional Victoria, where there are no positive community cases. I mean, there have been obviously some in in our region, but not anymore, that I really do hope that we can open up um, as much as we are able to because uh, many, many businesses are on the brink. And, you know, while there are many sectors of our economy uh, that are being paid and are able to stay at home and continue to work, um, there are many sectors which cannot do this. So I'm really, really hopeful that we will see an an announcement in the coming days whereby at least regional Victoria can open up all the parts where there are no community transmission. Uh, In terms of people crossing the border, particularly for compassionate reasons, I saw a... uh position being put to the Premier in the media conference yesterday where they asked them about uh, people coming across to uh, help people with chemotherapy and all those sort of things and the Premier said it's probably very difficult at this time to let people in because we don't want to spread the virus. Uh, Is that right and do you think there can be compassionate grounds for crossing the border and can you do it safely without putting us into an even longer lockdown? Well I don't think it's right and uh, there are compassionate grounds whereby people can enter Victoria but it's very very tough. And I have to say, Mitch, I'm really horrified about the case of 15-year-old Talia. I won't say her last name, but she's a Geelong girl. She went to see her auntie in Newcastle at the end of the school holidays for a couple of nights, uh, and she's now trapped in New South Wales. Her family are distraught. Uh, They have applied over and over for a permit to allow her to return to Victoria, and she has been unable to do so. And the rights of uh, the child under international human rights law are paramount. And I really do believe that this is verging on a breach of human rights when uh, we have a system where children cannot return to their families. So I've appealed to uh, the, um, the chief medical officer in Victoria and through him to the health minister and to the state government to please allow Talia to come home. We have to have compassion. There are people who are facing end of life that want to be with their families. Uh, we have to absolutely make sure that we do not lose our compassion. And I am, again, uh, as I did speak out in the Geelong Advertiser this morning, on behalf of her parents, I'm I'm saying please to Lisa Neville and to Christine Cousins, 
And to Darren Cheeseman, uh, local Labor MPs in our region, please have compassion. Please go in to fight for Talia. Please, please let her come home. This is so wrong. And uh, um, we cannot lose our humanity through this pandemic. Can she come through two weeks of hotel quarantine or is even that off the table? Uh, she's willing to do whatever it takes to come home, whether it's uh, hotel quarantine or home quarantine. Uh, her family are obviously happy for her to do anything, but she's been separated from her mum and her dad and her stepfather and her, her sister for three weeks. She's 15. She goes to a local school here in Geelong and she's crying herself to sleep every night because she can't be with her parents. Um, so, I mean, this is just... This is just not good enough. And there's actually an exemption when you fill out the form uh, to get a permit to travel back into Victoria, and there are exemptions granted. There's a category where you can actually bring your uh, pet in, but there's no category for children, for minors under the age of 18. Uh, there's only a general compassionate grounds category. So, as I say, please have compassion. Uh, directly to the Premier, I appeal to the Premier of Victoria, please allow Talia to come home. Uh, Labor has brought in a bill to the Senate over the last week, or they are planning to, to try and stop pork barrelling. And according to Labor Senator Katie Gallagher, she says Scott Morrison is addicted to rotting. Uh, In principle, do you support the idea of preventing pork barrelling? Well, let me first say one of the big uh, oversights of the Ombudsman's report when it comes to our commuter car parks program, it didn't acknowledge uh, that 39 other commuter car parks are either committed to or under construction or have been completed. So the announcements that we made, which were election commitments, were made in the context of need. And I was part of that uh, Senate inquiry. And for instance, Mitch, if you look at our region, Uh, There was no car parks funded under this particular program because we already have car parks being built in Warren Ponds, in Marshall, in South Geelong stations. And that's just our region under the Warren Ponds to South Geelong uh, rail duplication project, which I've championed for (laughs) many years and and led the charge on. And now we have that project going ahead. So there's some issues in relation to that project. Uh, So we have had, um, under various programs, jointly funded Commonwealth state programs and also Victorian government programs, many other car parks in train stations are already being constructed. So this particular fund was aimed at those car parks where no money had been invested in the southeast of Melbourne. Now, that's probably not any coincidence because I do believe that the Victorian government favoured uh, its uh, uh, seats, if for want of a better word, uh, which is regrettable. But if I have a look at uh, the funding under this program, the notion that it went to coalition seats is just simply wrong. Um, the funding was committed to a number of Labor seats including in Craigieburn and South Morang and Campbelltown. I won't read the full list. But as I say, um, there's been a number of different funding programs which have ensured that funding is going to car parks throughout Victoria. Uh, there was a big missing chunk in southeast Melbourne, and that's why those announcements were made. Although you mentioned Craigieburn, isn't that in McEwen, which is a key, mar- or was a key marginal seat at one point? No, I don't think so. No, Craigieburn's in a Labor seat. I'll, I'll have to t- take that on notice. Um, right. Yeah, but I think, no, Craigieburn, uh, McEwen is in the north, uh, the north um, 
West of Melbourne? No, I don't think so. Well, we'll have a look. Um, and just last week, you mentioned um, the rail duplication, and I see that there's now talk about having SkyRail, which I know is already in a number of parts of Melbourne, and it seems to be working and it gets the project through quickly. Is that a good idea if it helps to speed along the rail duplication and also avoid the frustration of motorists who are stuck at level crossings, particularly when the frequency of trains increase? Well, as I mentioned, the Warm Ponds to South Geelong Rail Duplication Project is a project that I have championed and led the charge on since 2015. And at that time, because, of course, there's only a single rail between uh, Geelong and Warm Ponds, at that time the Minister, Jacinda Allen, said this was not a priority. So it has taken a lot of hard work by the Coalition Government to uh, bring the State Government to the table. And we now have uh, almost a billion dollars being spent on the Geelong Melbourne Warnable Rail Line, 80% of which is funded by the Morrison government. So uh, that just shows uh, how important we believe regional rail upgrades are, Mitch. And in relation to the design which was released by the state government a couple of days ago, look, I have expressed some concerns and I have certainly made it clear that if elevated rail or sky rail along part of the track is the best solution, and it may well be the best solution, the state government needs to ensure it would um, will properly consult with the community and address any concerns. The plan was always to have the grade separation. Um, so let's not make any mistake about that. That was a big part of my vision, that uh, the rail level crossings at Surf Coast Highway, Reserve Road, Fine Street, Bowen Heads Road, we're all going to be grade separated by way of a road bridge. Now, if the state government's design is extended elevated rail or sky rail over a number of kilometres, and that's certainly what its design is showing, elevated rail through South Geelong and also between Marshall and Grovedale, uh, then I just hope and trust that the state government will properly consult with local residents to minimise the impact, to beautify the area and to make sure uh, this has the minimal environmental impact as, um, as possible. Well, thank you very much for being on the program and uh, we'll talk to you again next month. Yeah, always great to talk to you, Mitch. Well done on everything that you're doing and uh, uh, great to raise, uh, obviously, a number of really important issues today. Thank you. And as I say, before we go, please, uh, we are leading the charge in Geelong, in Victoria. We are right at the top of the charts in terms of our vaccination rates. So please, uh, for everyone listening, um, please tell your friends, your family, please get out and get vaccinated. Thanks again, Mitch. Thank you very much. Uh, Senator Sarah Henderson with us there. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.